You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello and welcome back to Girls with Graphs. I am Rachel Kudlak and I'm one of the hosts of the podcast and I'm joined by my lovely co-host Amber Wilcox. Hi there. So great to be back for another episode. Uh, We have a really great lineup of a guest today for you and I think you'll really be excited. Um, Someone from my state of Florida so I'm excited Mm -hmm. to be able to chat more about that as well. Um, But before we get uh, get started. Rachel, I would love it if you would uh, give us a special shout out to our um, podcast sponsor today. Yes. So today's podcast is powered by Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals. For more than 150 years, Mallinckrodt has been advancing the fields of science and medicine to improve the lives of people around the world. And you can can learn more about Mallinckrodt by visiting www.mallinckrodt.com. Yes. So we want to give them a special shout out today uh, and definitely thank them and all of the sponsors that have have joined us um, on the podcast. So without that further ado, uh, Rachel, let's introduce our guest today. Yes. So today um, our guest is Matt Manzari. Matt fell in love with water sports at an early age. He started wake, wake skating and before he knew it, he was sponsored by Nike and traveling the world doing what he loved at the age of 15. It seemed like his career was established and Matt knew what he would do for the rest of his life. However, God had other plans and began to work on his heart. Matt went on to study to school to study theology and four years later, he was about to graduate and him and his wife were excited to move into full-time ministry. The weekend before his final exams and even though he and, and even though he had pretty much removed himself from the sport, Matt entered into a pro tour contest to earn some extra money. However, tragedy struck and he was involved in an accident that doctors were amazed that he survived. A year later, Matt began working in ministry and he was trimming trees at a local church and a power line arched over the metal bucket he was standing in. Tragedy again struck and 14,000 bolts shot through his body and caused fourth and fifth degree burns, which melted most of the skin off of his chest and arms, going deep enough to kill muscle and bone. Matt was rushed to the emergency center and doctors were not sure if he would ever wake from the coma he was in. Miraculously, a few days later, he woke up from the coma and began to speak. And after multiple surgeries of tissue removal, artificial skin placement and skin grafts, Matt was released just over three months later. Thank you so Uh, much, Matt, for joining us. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to be here. Nice to meet you guys. Well, that was quite the introduction, Matt, um, and, and really, really appreciate you joining us today. Um, but before we talk about your burn injury, sounds like you're quite the wake skater. Is that the right way to say it? So, and I don't know if you still practice some weight skating as well, but we'd love to learn a little bit more about how you got involved um, to hear your sponsor by Nike is pretty cool. So um, we'd love it if you just start us off there. Yeah, definitely. So it's funny, like I'll talk to kids today and they'll be like, how do you become a pro athlete? I'm like, well, kind of first you, you don't start with the idea of becoming a pro athlete. You just Mm -hmm. find something you love. Like, you know, you go up to a little kid playing T 
t-ball and what do you want to do i want to be a baseball player you up to so for me that was action sports i got into baseball at a young age and then got a skateboard when i was 10 and like i was hooked all i wanted to do is skateboard and um we lived in upstate new york at the time so in the winters we were snowboarding in the hills of our neighborhood and making little jumps and i started wakeboarding a little bit in the summertime uh, when we moved to Florida, obviously snowboarding ended. It was too hot to skate as a kid from the north. And I just started pretty much living in the lakes. And when I discovered wake skating, you know, wakeboarding is, is sort of like snowboarding on the water and wake skating is like skateboarding on the water. So it kind of combined these two things I loved. Um, and I really just started to push myself in that. Uh, and I, you know, I'll tell people I wasn't particularly super talented um, I was just a regular kid that loved, loved sports. And when I was 14, my dad kind of told me this story that changed everything. He's like, Matt, you know, for hundreds of years, we measured how long people could run a mile. And it was a known fact by coaches and runners that the sub four minute mile was not achievable. Uh, but then in May of 1954, Roger Bannister breaks that four minute barrier. Uh, by 1960, I, I later learned 30 runners had done it since then hundreds have done it. Some high school runners. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, well, I'm not a runner, but there's nothing more raw and physical than run that way. I'll time you. But maybe even that had a bigger mental component. Cause when the thing that was impossible became possible, suddenly everyone could do it. So as a 14 year old kid, that wasn't like, you know, not to, I'm, I'm not toot my own horn. Cause I wasn't special or gifted or anything. I, I just, started to go out and say, man, maybe we teach sports wrong. Maybe it's more mental than physical. And maybe I could be an innovator in the sport and I could do tricks that nobody's done and bring some tricks I love from skateboarding. So I started doing muscle memory on the trampoline and training off the water and then doing tricks that I really, it wasn't like, Oh, I think I can. I think I can. It was like, get in the mindset that these are common tricks that everybody does. It's no big deal. And before I knew it, I, I did have a handful of tricks that I had never done and nobody else had. And that was when I got a call from Nike and they're like, hey, we're breaking into action sports and we're going to have a, uh, a snowboard team of kids, surf team, uh, wakeboard, wake skate team. Can you be our first wake rider? And, you know, I was just turning 15 at the time. So when you get a shoe contract from them and then six months later, a clothing contract. And then it was like before I knew it, my life was in a whirlwind. I had a board with a name on it and a boat sponsor. And suddenly you're like, oh, I don't need to go to college. This is what I do for a living. Um, so yeah, the the long story short of that is just find something you love, do it for that reason. And then yeah, push yourself in it. And, and a lot of times, I guess my lesson to the journey to becoming a pro is that a lot of times we're worried about the person next to us, but the biggest competitor we have is the person looking back at us in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Well, I love the mental path too, because that's super important. I think I look back at my burn injury and I'm sure this kind of relates to you as well, but it was more mental than, than physical for me. And like the more you can train yourself to practice that, I think the better. Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. I was actually, getting to share at a small conference and this lady was like, I can get on board with everything you say, but I don't know if our mental state can affect our physical. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, I don't mind like debating or bringing up the topic on stage. I was like, I have like a super short, like five minute session coming up. There's 
you know, 4,000 people here. Let's go talk about it. I'm not afraid of that. And she's like, Oh no, no, no. You can't call me up on stage. And she got like, and I said, well, I was never even going to do that. Cause I don't have permission to do that, but I just planted <laughs> an idea in your head. And I went off the fact that over 90% of people say their biggest fear is public speaking. <laughs> so I'm like, right. I just put an idea in your head that I was going to call you on stage and judging by your response, your heart's pounding out of your chest at the thought of it, your palms are sweating and you're having this huge physical reaction off of this thought. And it's like, how much more when we sit in a bed and we're like, I'm never getting out of here. This is it. It's mm -hmm. over. And we, we give up mentally. So yeah, I'm a big believer. Like you said, Amber on the mental component. For sure. Definitely. Well, and then, so you transitioned out of um, wake skating, or I guess you, you decided that wasn't going to be your forever <laughs> career path. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? And I know I read on your website that, you know, you felt like God was calling you to do ministry work. So how, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, it's funny. I was wondering where you got the bio and I was like, oh, there's a lot. I'm curious to hear how this is going to end too. <laughs> um, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty long intro. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, um, when you're a little kid, you have dreams. And if you told me at 10 years old that I could get paid to ride a board and ride, travel the world, like that's, that's my biggest dream came true. Yeah. It's not, it's not like mainstream sports basketball player salaries, but it, you can make enough to get a home and travel and, and make that your main thing. And it, it was pretty cool. And I think I had this idea that there was something that was going to click where it's like, okay, I made it. And at first it was like, man, if I could get a big sponsor, that would be it. Well then I did ride for kind of the biggest sponsor. And then it was like, well, if I get my name on a board, well, maybe if I win this contest or get this award. And, and then I remember like kind of having a lot of those things, those things happen and being like, well, maybe a magazine cover. Then it's like, that's the best thing that happened that month. And as these things happened in my career, it was like the veil was pulled back and I'm like kind of at the top and it was the top in my little world of wake sports. But at the top, it's like my dreams came true. And, and I guess it was like, if it didn't include, what God was calling me to do or serving and loving people, which is really what I think he's calling all of us to do is pretty empty. Like if my world was about money and exposure for myself, I mean, how many celebrities and athletes do you hear about that are miserable and struggling mm -hmm. depression? And, and I, I learned that firsthand. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just felt like I need to go serve people. And at that time in my life, I'm like, you know, I made my living, uh, playing in clean waterways around the world. And the thing that I guess really flipped for me was when I heard the statistic that every two minutes a child dies without, because of lack of clean drinking water. I was like, wait, in the time where we've had this talk, like multiple children have died mm -hmm. and I make my living riding a silly board behind a boat in clean waterways and they can't even get clean water. Um, so I thought that's what I was going to do. I thought I was going to go be like a missionary in Africa and then, you know, other things happen and you get electrocuted and suddenly your life does a 180. Sure. So let's start, I think before your burn injury, you had a serious accident. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that accident first um, and kind of go, go through that and before we get into your burn injury? Sure. Yeah. It was funny. Cause I kind of made it through like a, a pretty long sports career for, I mean, I was 22 when I had my first accident. So from 15 to 22 is pretty long for an action sports mm -hmm. career. Um, and I never even got stitches. I never broke a bone, never got stitches. Like I, I was actually a pretty conservative rider in the sense of 
I wasn't somebody that built a rail and I'm like, I think that's going to work. Let's just try to jump it. Or like uh, I stayed within my limits and um, I was, you know, like it said, I'd, I'd kind of left my career to go to school for ministry. I thought I'd lose all my sponsors and then was able to maintain them through school. And it was actually the weekend before graduation. And I thought I had it all figured out. I'm like, well, I'm going to school in Tennessee. We could load up half our apartment in a U-Haul, drive to Florida. The first stop of the tour happens to be in Florida. I could kind of have like a last hurrah and ride one last contest and say bye to everybody. <laughs> Come back, take my finals Monday through Wednesday. And I walk Friday for graduation. Well, I came to Florida. I was the first rider off the dock. It's 2012. If you remember, there was a huge drought. And the lake I was riding, it's a, it's kind of a man-made portion of the lake, but um, it's a great contest venue. It's a private lake that's really narrow, so the crowd can kind of sit and be close to the action. And mm-hmm. at the end of the lake, it kind of bottlenecks, almost like think of like a beer bottle bottlenecking um, into a really skinny canal, and then it opens back up. And the, the advantage of that, if you've ever driven a boat or been in a boat, is it has these huge wakes that it disperses. So when the boat goes through that bottleneck and then turns around on the other side, none of the waves make it back into the contest pass. So I, I'd ridden here lots of times, and I'm coming to this narrow section, and I knew I had to get right behind the boat. Um, and as you know, in Florida, we don't have rocks. So because of shoreline erosion, they've had the construction company next door dump cinder block and broken up sidewalk mm. and to keep mm-hmm. the erosion away. So the boat's going through at 22 miles an hour on plane. And I tried to squeeze one last trick in. And what they told me happened later was the wave kind of curled over and whitewashed. And I looked at the driver, said speed up and kept edging in, not realizing that it was too late. And the driver said I was in the air jumping the wake and he knew I was going to land pretty much on the shoreline. And he tried to kill mm-hmm. the throttle, but it was too late. I hit the rock covered shoreline at, 20 to 22 miles per hour, the boat's going and you're edging, you could as much as double the speed of the boat. So my body's conservatively moving 30 miles per hour and it hits a rock wall. So I broke my skull in 13 places. I got mm. 16 screws and three plates to rebuild my skull. Um, I broke my jaw clean on both sides. And I mean, the advantage to that was they're able to drop my <laughs> pallet down and do a lot of the screws and my nasal passage from the inside before they bolted my jaw. Um, I crushed my hand. Um, I had five breaks in my hand, dislocated my hip, uh, broke my tailbone, snapped to the right. And we don't, we still don't know if it was rebar or stick or what punctured me, but something went through the back of my leg and punctured through. Mm. So it was a slight hiccup to my wife and I were like this newly married couple, like about to leave an action sports career, going to ministry. Like we've never had a major, major trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I never really lost anyone close to me. And and now here I was like, huh, I just lost a semester of school and I'm completely broke and my lease is up on Friday and I'm in a hospital bed and how am I going to graduate and support my wife and live? And I mean, to say my world was flipped upside down was a huge understatement. Um, but I guess it was really in that recovery that really prepped me for my burn mm-hmm. injury because mm-hmm. I saw like... I you know, as you know, because um, of the bio, bio you read and talked about my what I went to college for, like I am a Christian. And, you know, I, I guess I had this vision of a God that was like, OK, I made the world and one day you get heaven. But everything else is just a bunch of crap happens in between. Um, and maybe he's less involved in some of that. And then 
I guess I just saw how people and, and what I believe to be him provided for our needs, like came in in ways I couldn't explain and loved and served us and, and picked us up. And, and I remember at the end of that, it was, it was about eight months before I was walking again without a cane and back on my board and fully physically recovered. But I remember eight months later being like, yeah, I'm physically recovered, but I'm emotionally, spiritually, relationally changed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, just how I looked at people, how I looked at life. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I remember thinking like, this is going to be our story. Like I never want to be, I never wanted to be a speaker or anything. Um, but I was like, I'll pass lessons I learned from this onto my one day kids, I guess, and grandkids mm-hmm. and friends and family. And little did I know is that was really just preparing me for this huge mm-hmm. thing that would forever change my life. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more. Um, I think it was like a year later when your burn injury happened. So can you tell us more about that and, you know, expand a little bit to like how, you know, this first accident set you up for to recover um, from your burn injury? Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, I was, I was helping trim trees at, at a church. It was, it was actually a church across from Florida Hospital. So they connect and they share the same power. So it was, a, it was from what the from what OUC told me, Orlando Power, it's the second highest amp line in the city. The only one that's higher is the one that powers ORMC where I was treated. Um, and I didn't realize, because I'm not a tree trimmer or lineman, but linemen and tree trimmers use fiberglass insulated buckets and a steel bucket or high reach is not supposed to be within 50 yards of high tension wires. So we just rented a, a steel high reach and I was up trimming trees pretty close to the power lines. Um, and on a really humid day, uh, it can arc huge distances, which I didn't realize that they kind of explained it. They said, you ever had a vacuum cleaner come unplugged and you just plug it in and it sparks a little bit. They're like, that's a half inch jump of a uh, 110 volts jumping out to a metal plug. You take a three phase line with 14 to 21,000 volts running through it. And it, it can jump. And once it jumps, I mean, it's as, as good as wired. So uh, I was up in the bucket and I mean, it was, it was like an instant leap for me. Um, I was in the bucket and then my first memory is probably two weeks later, two and a half weeks later. Um, and even that, that whole first month is kind of blurry as I don't, I don't know if you guys have experienced some of that where you're in, you know, you, I was in a coma and then I started to wake up and they, medically induced me back in for a couple of days. And then you kind of wake up and you're in and out of surgeries and um, it, it's, it's kind of a blur and it, it's kind of scary. You're trying to figure out. I, I remember cause I had a camp I was going to do in Alaska that I was supposed to go teach water skiing, wakeboarding uh, up there uh, near Anchorage. And I kept saying, are they going to keep me overnight? Because I have supposed to fly out soon. And they're like, no, Matt, that was weeks ago. And you're like trying oh. to come to terms with like, what are you talking about? And, and I always joke, I'll, I'll, I'll joke that, um, I'll make nipple jokes. I'll be like, you guys are lucky. You have nipples. Mine got burned off. <laughs> and, um, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like an unexpected shocker. Cause you can't really see all my burns a lot of times with long sleeves on. Um, but the reason I do that, I actually do kind of have my nipples. They're about half there, but it's cause one of the first conversations with my dad, I was like trying to wrap my head around what they meant. Cause they're like, you're, you're really burned, Matt. I'm like, like, I'm going to need to wear like 
band-aids and like stay out of the water for a couple weeks they're gonna keep me overnight and my dad's like no you don't have skin like we're looking at your rib cage and your sternum and your clavicle bone and muscle hanging out and like what do you mean like do i have nipples is like my whole chest <laughs> on and he's like i don't know yet until we do the skin graft surgery and that was like just in my mind of like just my little world of trying to comprehend i'd never met a burn survivor really of like huh this is bad my nipples are burned off mm -hmm. yeah i know i think that realization that you've been burned while i wasn't burned to the degree that you were i know we both were treated at ormc as well but i remember thinking like oh this is going to be a quick no you know no big deal thing and mm -hmm. i remember the night that i was admitted to the hospital my husband came in and we both thought like oh i'll just be released tomorrow and they kind of came in and were like no <laughs> it's not just as simple as that that this accident appears um and my husband had just like brought an overnight bag because he thought like oh she'll just be in for one night and she'll be back out the next day mm. so i can imagine that that realization of like oh this is worse than i thought it was and i think in burns sometimes that can be the case because you mm -hmm. can't immediately see the damage that's been done um no. so i can completely relate to that for sure um yeah no, I, I, know I don't know if you, if you guys ever had it but like that not not to cut you off like kind of the no, re realizing like the realizing it happened like that was reoccurring for me for like the whole maybe first year and a half where it didn't happen all the time, but there was mornings you'd wake up even after I got up out of the hospital and I would have a dream where I got burnt and I'd wake up and be like, I'd go to turn on my wife and be like, man, I just had the worst. Oh, that's real. And you kind of like for just that split second, you're like reliving. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is really my life. <laughs> mm, this happened. Yeah. And it can be difficult to, <clears throat> so it sounds like your wife was there for you for a lot of that. Um, or most of your traumas, right? All of your traumas. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you can relate to, and I think it's definitely made my husband and I closer, right? I've dealt with my burn injury. We've had some additional traumas after the fact as well. Um, how, how are you and your wife or how has your relationship changed? I think from that initial injury. I think it's like for us, a big wake up call to how burns can destroy marriages was going to the burn conference, going to the Phoenix burn conference and meeting so many people that were like, yeah, we ended up splitting up because it, it really, and you see how it happens. Like you go from husband, wife to patient caretaker, and then you're trying to rebuild into what mm -hmm. husband, wife looks like. Um, so I think that was actually really helpful to us because she's my wife's a rock star she was like every day i just want matt back in any capacity i mean she was pregnant with our first when i got electrocuted she was four months pregnant so a time that should have really been about her <laughs> and me being like okay what do you need became all about me um and she was i mean later on there's stuff i'd find out later on like she'd come in and be strong and hold my hand and then be there for me going in under surgery. And then I'd find out later, like sometimes she'd walk in the hall and collapse and just be in tears, wondering if that's the last time she's going to talk to me. Um, so she's been amazing. Uh, but, but yeah, like when we got out of the hospital, I think we were super naive thinking, okay, cool. We're done. And, and I like fought and fought. Like I argued every day with my physical therapist and occupational therapist, like I'll do anything. Let me, what do I have to do to prove that I'm ready to get out of here? Like I'm going nuts mm -hmm. in here. Because mm -hmm. at first, Dr. Smith told me I'll be there up to maybe a year. And I'm like, no, 
So I'm like at three months, like, <laughs> please let me out. Just put me in right. coach. Like, let me out. And we thought getting home was the finish line and realizing mm-hmm. that was, oh, now we're doing dressing changes without nursing and doctor staff. And That's we don't scary. have IV medications <laughs> and we don't have all this stuff. And, and uh, so that was, that was a big learning curve. And, and then we had a newborn and my wife has a husband that's more work than a newborn. So it really was like, I mean, it was a few years of rebuilding, but now on the other end of it, like I can't, I didn't know you could be so close to somebody. Like there's so much mm-hmm. trust. There's so much understanding and it just, it's just like, we just get along like it, you know, people say marriages work all the time and like, I never want to be insensitive, but I'm like, you know, we did have a lot of work at the beginning, but it's almost like because of that foundation, mm-hmm. we just have a lot of fun. Like we, we really do. Yeah. yeah. I think I can totally relate because mm-hmm. same thing. My husband and I have been through so much, right. Through all of that, that you end up stronger on the other side if you can get through it. Right. So yeah. completely relate to that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and there were things like I said, when, when we saw, so many relationships broken after being at the Phoenix conference from a burn injury or from even a child's burn injury where then the parents end up split. Um, That was when we got home and we're like, we need to prioritize a date night. Like Thursday we're going dinner, whether or not we can Mm -hmm. afford the babysitter, we can do it. Like we're going to, we're going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And it was really just starting to date again Mm -hmm. and being intentional about it because it it doesn't just happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also mentioned too, you know, and this is for all burn survivors really, or anyone suffering a trauma, you know, you think once you get home, that is the finish line and life goes back to normal. But then that's when the emotional and mental recovery really starts. And for your case, in many cases, you know, you are doing dressing changes at home, which is stressful, especially when a caregiver is helping with that. So what advice or tips would you give, you know, other survivors and caregivers, um, you know, partners who are now acting in that caregiver role, what advice would you give to them? My, I I guess, and you guys would have great advice for that too, but I guess probably the thing I saw most um, with patients around me in the hospital and and maybe because I've always tried to be kind of a positive half glass full person, but I was pretty amazed when I was in the trauma step down at how many patients yelled at nurses and were mean to nurses mm-hmm. and were upset with their nurses and trying to get in like they're there to help and serve you. And that's not always a fun thing, but taking it out on them doesn't help anybody. And it just mm-hmm. drags you down. Like I've, I've always joked. I'm like, we need to make like a patient how to like how to be a patient. <laughs> um, Cause the, the biggest thing for me was like taking ownership of my recovery meeting meeting some people that were telling me things like, Oh, you're so lucky that you got this much range of motion back and almost being like instantly offended by that statement and being like, well, they didn't mean anything by it, but I'm like lucky. Like it was thousands of hours of physical therapy to get here. Mm -hmm. It wasn't luck. And, and having conversations where I was like, Oh, well I went to physical therapy. I'm like, no, that's where you learn your stretches. Like you got to take ownership in your care. Like Mm -hmm. I'd go to Tampa and work with Patty who specialize in burns for physical therapy and we do an hour session five days a week, but then I'd come home and sometimes it was taping three pound weights to my hands to let my elbows hopefully get a half inch. And by the end of a movie, you watch a movie and you're bleeding and you've broken open the skin here, but it's, 
it's a half inch more range of motion and you're trying to beat mm -hmm. that clock of the scar tissue maturing. So it was just a lot of, I think the biggest advice to, to survivors is take ownership in your care that it's not mm -hmm. your nurses or your spouse's or your doctor's job to heal you. They're there to assist you, but you've got to do the work. Mm -hmm. And then um, on the caretaker side, just, you guys are awesome. Just the fact that you're doing it, like I don't want to give them advice, but other than just, you know, try to show patience, patience and grace towards people if they are not being nice and, but, uh, but also try to encourage them like, Hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here. Cause I love you. Yeah. I know my husband and I both, right. Like he pushed and I didn't always want to do it, but also knowing like, yeah, I'm accountable for having to do this. Cause I'm not going to get here on my own or, or I am going to get here on my own, but I'm like, I need, mm. I need the support, but it's kind of, I have to do the work and put it in. And I didn't always like him for that. Right. Of like yeah. making me get up and doing those things, but also knowing like grateful that he did support me through that. Cause that's definitely mm. a hard thing for, I always tell him, I don't want, I wouldn't have wanted to be in his shoes. Like I'm yeah. always happy. I was in the shoes I was in because um, if, if roles are reversed, I don't know if I could do it like what he did. Mm -hmm. And during that time, and I'm sure it's the same for you and your wife. Like, yeah. I don't want to be that caretaker <laughs> like that. That's a hard job to be in. <laughs> I tell her that all the time. I'm like, I've gotten her a couple times on stage to share her side of it. But I'm like, Bobby Jean is like, everybody goes through hardship, but as many people that can relate to going through trauma and hardship, there's just as many that can relate to watching a loved one going through it and standing mm -hmm. by helpless. Like, Hey, I'm watching this person go through this thing. And my biggest issue is what I'm going to eat tonight or whatever. Like, so it's like, there's a whole audience for you um, mm -hmm. and your story as a, as a spouse or caretaker. Oh, it's, it's sometimes more important, I think, because they sure. see things from a different, like you said, there's a lot that I don't remember, right. There's a lot he remembers that I went through and things mm -hmm. like that too, even just from that aspect that, it's really hard to, to probably watch that person go through something really, really difficult. And he'll to this day say like watching you in pain is mm -hmm. not a fun time for anyone. And that's traumatic for them. So I can only imagine. Yeah. They have just as much of a story for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. She, and, and, and their plans get turned upside down. Like remembering that, yeah, our life changed, but there's the two, like my wife grew up wanting to be homeschool mom, uh, a homemaker and that's what she wanted to do. And she's like, I'm going to work until we have kids. And, and then now we have a new baby and she's working two jobs to support us taking justice to work with her and in, in the carrier working from her computer, working two jobs and then driving me five days a week to physical therapy between that. And it was like, that's why when we had our second, um, she went on maternity leave and I'm like, I don't care if I have to work five jobs. Like if you don't, <laughs> if you want to work again, great. If you don't ever want to work another day in your life, like, <laughs> I'll make that I understand. happen. <laughs> yeah. You've done so much. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's so, it's so funny. Cause you just, that is true. Like there is a, that dynamic mm -hmm. of like, I've been through, you've been through so much. Like how could I ever repay you for, for everything mm -hmm. you've done for me as, as someone who is just kind of didn't have anything right. There was, it would, mm -hmm. it wasn't, they didn't have a choice, right. They didn't choose to be a caregiver. It kind of was just given yeah. to them. And a lot of times they don't know what it's going to look like down the road. Like when they, when I was first in the coma, they can, you know, they could do pain sensory to see if you're, you have neuroactivity. And right. at that time my head was so swollen and whatever. And from the burns, maybe I was so desensitized, but I wasn't responding to a lot of those tests. So 
they were telling her, they're like, hey, just so you know, if he does get his like quote unquote miracle, like if he wakes up and if he can survive this, like the brain damage is extensive and he's not mm-hmm. going to be Matt anymore. He's going to have the motor function of a child um, and the cognitive function of a child. And she said when they told her that she just had this like instant vision pop in her head of us as old people. And she's like, I just pictured me spoon feeding you on like a porch and telling you about my day and hoping a little bit of you was still there. Still there. Mm-hmm. And that was like so powerful when she shared that later on, like when I was to just think like giving up was never on the table for her. And that really helped me not give up either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to think that she was pregnant all while doing that, I'm <laughs> pregnant right now. And I cannot imagine um, having to right like watch that person through all of that. So that she's a definitely a strong lady for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do also just want to encourage, you know, caregivers who are listening, you know, I also would recommend getting connected with other caregivers who are going through Mm. that same thing. You know, peer support is so, so powerful. And, you know, sometimes if you just need to call and vent to someone, (laughs) we can get you connected with someone you can vent to. I I know that can be really important, um, especially when they're struggling too. That's such a good point. Because it's one thing when somebody can can sympathize for you, but to empathize with you and be like, Mm -hmm. I'm going through it too. And this sucks. Mm -hmm. Right. It makes you feel like you're not alone. Definitely. Definitely. So you were only in the hospital to my understanding, Matt, for three months, correct? And you Mm -hmm. got out. um, Yeah. I went in June 25th and I came out September 13th, but that was, that was definitely kind of my mistake because they would have kept me longer and they were trying to keep me longer. And I was asking what I have to do to prove myself. And I got out and I think I was only out five or six days. And then I went back in for like a week and a half. And then I was out mm-hmm. like two or three weeks. And then I went in for a week. Like I definitely jumped the gun and had some big surgeries that were after that, that they had to keep me impatient and watch me. And um, I just couldn't stay still and was like, what do I have to do? <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I was pushing for that as well. Um, so once you did get out, I mean, how many surgeries did you have to over, you know, overcome or, or go through, um, before you feel like you were, and I don't think healed is necessarily like the right, right. Before you felt like you're back to being more of Matt. Um, well, that's kind of a twofold question. Like I would, I mean, I was a thousand, I remember calculating a thousand and thirty eight days off the water before I got on a wake skate again. So about three years before I or two and a half years before I got on a wake skate again. So that was a big, that was a big milestone where I'm like, this is a little of my old life that I was hoping to have one day. But I'll also say like, I don't know if I ever got back to the old mat. Um, I, uh, I felt like one thing that was not helpful for me in my recovery was when I was comparing myself to the old me Mm -hmm. in the beginning. Cause I, for a while was like, I, I'd go, man, I used to be a pro athlete. Now I can't open a water bottle. I can't get my toothbrush to Mm -hmm. my mouth. I can't. And I realized like, man, this is a really negative way to do this of comparing who I was the day I got there. I'm going to spend years before I get to ground zero, which is super Mm -hmm. defeating. So pretty early, like when I was still in the hospital, I remember having this moment where I was just like, Hey, the old me's gone. Like the old Matt is dead in a Mm -hmm. sense. And I need to mourn that. And just like you'd mourn the death of anything. And I want to discover who this new person is. 
because the old me might have been better at some sports or something, but the new me is going to be able to relate to people and talk to people like the old me never could. And mm-hmm. As you know, our, our scars open up doors. Like I don't, I have no business speaking on stages. Like I still, I'm like, why do these people want me to speak? I never <laughs> want to be a speaker. Um, I got out of the hospital and a pastor in town was like, Hey, I'm doing a message on perseverance and dude, I've watched you over the past few months and you look like a mummy and you're, you got a smile on your face. <laughs> and and he, he said, can I interview you for 10 minutes at the end of my message? And I did that and then got a call from a bank in town and then a, a youth group and then a camp and then a, another corporation before I knew it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Is this what I do now? And then suddenly like I, was doing 50 to 70 events a year a few years later. And, and it wasn't because I wanted to, it was because people wanted to hear the story. Um, and, and I think that, that, uh, that's something all of us can recognize as survivors and even as caretakers that, um, it's not so much of how, what is our functioning compared to the old us, but who's the new person? Cause the old person would have never gotten on those stages. <laughs> I think once we can get past that, it's helpful too, right? Like there is a lot of comparison. And I remember thinking like, I'll never be able to do yoga the same way way again, or I'll never be able to. And that's a hard thing to like, it's possible, but it's not going to happen like tomorrow, right? It might happen. Mm -hmm. Like I may be able to get back on that board, right? But it's not going to start with, and I'm sure with you, it didn't start with like getting back to the, you know, the The water and doing exactly right to where you were. Um, And it starts like with these like tiny little baby steps, and that was really, really hard thing for me to be like, I can do this, but it's going to take me a really long time to mm-hmm. get back to feeling like I can be that person again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately some survivors do get caught in that, you know, negative, you know, cycle where you are comparing yourself to the old you. And I love what you said too, about, you know, it is okay to mourn that the old you isn't the same you and the new you and who you're going to be. So what, you know, tips would you give someone who is kind of stuck in that negative cycle of thinking like, or even just not can't see the glass half full. Like you said, they see it half empty. Well, I like, I'm a big, I'm big on like story brand and books on story. Like when I study people, like I minored in psychology and I thought that's what I wanted to major and go do my master's in. So it was more than a minor. I'm like eight credits short of my degree, but, um, a big thing I, I realize is like we're relational and we teach business to be like, Oh, put your suit and tie on and get your business card, be professional. But then on the other side, I'm like half of a business degree should be a psychology degree. Cause most of the big deals are done on a golf course. Why? Cause people, they golf and hang out and let their guard down around people they like. And they're like, Oh, you're doing this. I'll do this. And realizing how relational we are. Like I ask people all the time, I say, what's your story? And more often than not, they'll say, well, I'm from here and I do this. And, and I would argue like our story is way less about what we do and where we're from. Like that's a part of our journey, but it's much more about who we are. And and I say that because I'm like, if my story was me as an athlete, well, at one point in my journey, that's a pretty cool story. I'm a young kid getting a jump start in my career, getting to travel and experience a really cool thing for a high school age, college age kid. But at another point in my journey, it's all ripped away from me. And if my identity and my stories and that, well, who am I? Well, if my identity is Matt as a burn survivor, 
okay, well, can I ever fully heal? Can I ever fully profit? Cause I'm so much more than that I, and I'll never process it. So, but if my story is who I am, who I am, like who was I created to be? How do I relate to people different than other people? What gifts do I have in, in, in who I innately am? And I can discover that. Well, that filters into me as an athlete, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a burn survivor, and it looks different. So my big advice to that is like, I think people get stuck that this is their identity. Like, oh, now I'm broken. Now I'm ugly. Now I'm scarred. Now somebody won't love me. And I'm like, well, you're different. That's cool. Like, do we all want to look the same? So like, I'm pretty big on, I go to the beach without my shirt on and you know, I've had doctors say, Oh, we have lasers that can help blend some of the scars. I'm like, I don't want to do anything cosmetic. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, and, I like and nothing and, and nothing against people who do like, if, if, if that's something you want to do, I'm not um, talking down on it. But for me personally, I'm like, man, you know how much these scars hurt to put on? Like they're a part of my story. It's a part yeah. of my journey. It doesn't define me. Um, but it, it opens doors. Like people yeah. see you and, and they ask and, and I think it's kind of funny when some people are are offended because I think the child inside of us wants to know. Mm. And um, we do an amputee event uh, almost every year. And there was a guy at the last one that was, he was telling me how he just went off on some stranger because he said, you know, this guy asked me, how'd you lose your leg in the grocery store? And he said, and I just lost it. And I said, you want me to revisit the worst day of my life? And he's like, I cussed him out. And I screamed at him and the dude basically left in tears and he's like, and I, he's like, and I, he was proud of himself. Cause he's like, I just, he's going to bring up my worst day. I'm going to make this the worst day of his life. And, and I was like, but I was like, most of the time when people ask about your leg, is it children or adults? And he's like, usually kids. And I'm like, that's why. Cause when there's an innocent and we're not, we don't have the social norms that we learn of, Oh, it's not polite to do this. Like, we're like, Oh, Hey, you look different. What happened? And it's not a bad thing that we look different. You know, I'll have a kid in the grocery store. Mommy, what happened to him? And sometimes I'll joke and be like, cigarettes. I started smoking and my skin fell off. Don't smoke. No. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's like if, the more we can be open about our stories, it, it's funny because it, we share from the stage or you guys share from the podcast to help others. But I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine it ends up helping you a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first time I shared my story on stage, I pretty much bawled through the whole thing. And the 50th time I broke down maybe once or twice. Now there's been lots of times I've gotten through and I, and there's still hard moments to share this. Actually, I just had lunch with a guy who came over to my house for lunch and he was asking, he just asked a question that took me off guard and um, just about, Hey, what was, he said, how did you get through your little goals? Uh, or how did you get through your day to day? And it just hit me, dude. And I broke down right here at the kitchen table. And there's still moments that are going to always be hard to revisit. Sure. But I also don't think that's a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. My uh, one day and one year from the anniversary of my burn, um, this is my friend Will Green, who's the background of my mm-hmm. phone. Um, that's him holding my son the day Will the day my son was born. Um, we were coming up the one year anniversary of my burn, and Will got in a wakeboard accident and. Mm-hmm never regain consciousness. Um, and when Will passed, uh, it's still hard to talk about Will. And I look at his picture every day, but I've realized like, 
know, people love to say time heals and I'm like, well, not fully. And that's not a bad thing because Mm -hmm. the fact that it's still hard and emotional to share Will's story shows how important he was to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's parts of your burn journey that it's like, you went through a lot and you don't Mm -hmm. need to desensitize that or brush over that. Uh, And it's okay. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, um, Matt, I know you talked a lot about who you are, so I'd love to know, um, as we, you know, start to close out here, who Matt is today. Um, what are you, what are you up to these days? Are we still wake, wake skating or is there other things that you're involved in as well? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I joke, people are always like, what do you do? And I'm like, I share my story to help people connect with their stories. Um, and like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, I, we do do some events. I've done some burn survivor events, cancer survivor events. We do some wounded warrior, active warrior, EMT events. Um, uh, uh, through There's an uh, Operation Wake Surf. It's a nonprofit based in Charlotte. And um, basically the idea is you, you take some wounded warriors and they're not going to, they're not maybe ready to go sit in a counselor's chair, but you say, hey, you want to come learn to wake surf? And they say, sure. But you put six of them in a boat and pretty quickly, organically, it'll happen where it's like, Hey, I want to talk about this thing that happened that I don't talk about because there's six other guys that understand and peer support, like you said. Um, so, you know, I do spend time on the water nowadays. Um, I still have a boat sponsor. So, um, but what's cool is they, they let me just do events and share and love the sport with people. And and that's kind of what I have to do rather than compete these days. Mm -hmm. Um, so I am still riding. Uh, I, I just got finished writing a book and my book just came out. So that's on audible and Amazon and my website and on the, who you are thing. It's the, the title is beyond the scars. Life is defined by who you are, not your circumstances. Um, and, and when I wrote the book and when I speak, I would say, I'm not this, this isn't about me. And I'll joke and say, people think I'm a better speaker than I am. It's not that I'm a good speaker. It's that <laughs> innately we're selfish human beings and we want to hear, about ourselves and people come thinking they're hearing a story about me. And I hope that they leave and they put down my book reading a story about them, that the point is to challenge them. And Hey, this is one example of going through a really good thing, like being a pro athlete and a really tough thing, like going through burns and, and trauma and, and everything in between. But what, how can we grow and learn out of it? Um, So I guess what I'm up to today is just trying to, keep that message going of to discover your story, discover who you are. And I think who I am is I'm a connector. I, I love people. I, I want to, I want to learn about you guys. I want to learn your stories. I want to learn what makes you tick, what you're good at, what you like, what you don't like. And, and I just, people fascinate me and they've always fascinated me. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so excited to get a copy of your book and um, take a read. Um, and we will have um, your website as well as the Amazon linked in our show's description. Um, Matt's website is beyondtheburn.life. Um, so other than the website, how can our listeners, you know, keep in touch with you and stay up to date with all things Matt? <laughs> well, I, I would say social media, but I don't post nearly as much as I should. I get my friends give me a hard time about it all the time, but I'm going to try to get better. But I do, I always like, I think one of the best things we could do for people is be accessible. You know, when people like give Google voice numbers, I'm like, just give your cell phone. So I, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Like I tell people just 
shoot me a text or, or message me on Instagram, you know, go find me on Instagram, direct message me. Like I love to hear from people, the amount of burn survivors I've met through Facebook and Instagram. It's, it's pretty unreal. Cause it's like the burn community is small, but it's big and it'll be, Oh, my friend's son who's on a football team, his coach's son was burnt in Texas. Can you talk to him? And it's like, well, I'm going to be in Texas in two weeks. Let's go meet with him. And things like that happen. And it's just, it's a lot of fun to connect with the community. Um, I had only met one burn survivor when I was burnt. Um, and he's a guy out of Oregon that was burned really, really bad. He, he lost one arm and one leg in his burn. His ears were burned off his nose. He's about a hundred percent of his body burned from a fire burn. And he is one of the happiest, most joyful people I've ever met. He's blind. And he, he was 19 when it happened. His uh, wife, his fiance at the time stayed uh, engaged and they got married and now they have three kids. And I remember when I met him years before I got burnt being like, how can he be so joyful in the midst of such pain. And when I woke up in the hospital, one of my first voicemails is from him and, and it meant the world. Amazing. So I, I want to pay that forward and be accessible to whoever needs help. I think that's so important. Yeah. I know that the community is, is definitely strong. Our, the burn survivor community is definitely, I always say a family I never mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of, but so glad that I did. <laughs> um, and it's, I think there's that camaraderie around, like we've all been through a very unique experience and can not only share that with one another, but we have that special understanding of like what it's like to go something, go through something really horrible, but know that there is like light at the end of the tunnel or on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, so we always ask our guests two final questions, Matt, as we begin to wrap up here. Um, so I guess uh, my first question um, as we wrap up is what advice you'd have for a newly injured survivor? So, um, you know, they're maybe either still in the hospital or freshly out of the hospital listening to this podcast. Um, what would you want to tell them? Um, I would say, I would tell them that the question I've got more than any other, like overwhelmingly, and I don't know if this is true for you guys too. I'd imagine it may be, but people always say, if you could change it, would you like, if you could go back, would mm -hmm. you? And it's funny cause it's not even a, a real possibility, but <laughs> I've, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, that's a hard question. And I have cried over that question and wrestled with it. And my answer to it now would be, I wouldn't. If I could go back and talk to younger Matt, you know, six months before the accident, a day before the accident, I'd say, Matt, remember when we were kids and we were scared of the dark and I'd sit in bed at night and I'd, I'd hear noise in my closet or whatever. And I'd jump up and I'd turn the light on and I'd go and I'd look under the bed or look in the closet and see that there's no monster. Mm -hmm. And then I'd, I'd turn the light off, get back in bed. And pretty quickly as I sat in the darkness, I'd forget the truth that I learned in the light and I, my mind would play tricks on me. And I'd mm. hear another monster or hear something, even though I knew there. And, and, and I'd say, Matt, these next few years are going to be super, super tough. Mm. And you're going to go through some deeper, darker places than you ever thought you could go through. But in those dark moments, don't forget the truth you learned in the light that there are people that care for you, that love you, that you have value, that you have purpose, that you have a story and, and to hold to that. 
Cause mm-hmm. I really wouldn't change it now, but it doesn't make it easy to go through. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. And I've, <clears throat> I think some, some newly injured survivors will say to me, like, you're nuts. Like you really think that you would not change <laughs> it. And I said, but look where I am, right? Like look where I am now and all the experiences I've been able to mm-hmm. enjoy and, and learn. And, and I'm stronger right on the other side of it. Cause that's, it is a very hard thing to think like back to that day in the hospital. If like, I would have thought I was nuts, right? Thinking like, oh, I don't regret this. Um, But looking back, my husband and I both think like all of the things that you've been through, like the next thing is not so hard, right? Or or you're going to be okay. Um, But that's a really hard question. (laughs) And how many doors does it open as a burn survivor? Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people can you talk to? You can walk into a hospital room with someone with cancer or burns or whatever it is. And it goes from anyone dealing with anything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how many times do people say, Oh, I went through nothing like what you went through. And they always give this disclaimer, nothing. And you're like, don't do that. Don't devalue what you're going through. If, if you're going through your biggest struggle, I'm going through mine. But the fact that they're doing it, they've instantly given you this credibility because you've lived through Mm -hmm. something. Um, Makes you more relatable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's power in that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Well, time for our final question, which is our Phoenix Partner question, which today is sponsored by Malacrat, an organization providing medicines to address unmet patient needs and helps improve people's lives. So their question is, what is something you're grateful for today? It doesn't have to be burn survivor community related at all. It can be anything. Something I'm super grateful for today would be, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm grateful for, but (laughs) I mean, definitely my wife and kids, that's a huge thing I'm grateful for. Um, I'm super grateful for the life I get to live now that I get to, I get to share my story that I did make it. And um, that's never to be taken for granted for any of us that are, that have been burned, just realizing that, it's not anything we did that we're special or more important, but it's, it's undeserved. And to just that go approach it from gratitude. Like I'm thankful for every day and being burnt as you guys probably know, <laughs> makes that amplified. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Well, Matt, um, can you hold up that book one more time and tell us about oh, it? Yeah. Just so we know. So Matt's book is available on Amazon or on, is it beyond the burn dot life? Correct. Yeah. Beyond the burn dot life. Yeah. Um, awesome. But yeah, life is defined, like you said, just to tell you about one more time, but life is defined by who you are, not your circumstances. And that goes back into that, who are you? Um, I, I kind of based the title off of the my favorite moment in The Lion King. Um, if you've seen The Lion movie. King. So, <laughs> it's one of my favorite so, movies. <laughs> so you have this moment where Simba is off Akuna Matata, no worries the rest of his days. Like he's living like an adolescent, you know, he's living for himself. You do mm-hmm. you, which is a big message that's put through our generation. You do you. Don't worry about the other people. And it's like he has his people back home suffering and under a terrible leader. And he's called to go and save them from that and lead them. And he's off doing his own thing in the, in the jungle. And I love, you know, Rafiki light leads him up to that uh, reflection pond. He Water. looks down and for a second he thinks it's his dad looking back cause he feels like a kid, but he sees his full grown lion staring back and, um, and he says, who are you? Mm. And that's a piercing question. Like that's mm. a powerful question. Like, are you going to go be who you're meant to be 
and go save and lead your people, or are you going to keep being this adolescent teenager, but the decision's yours. And, and that's a lot of what the book is of, and back to ownership and our recovery of like, who are you? And we got to mm-hmm. ask ourselves that as, as survivors, as caretakers, as friends, as spouses, mm-hmm. as parents. And, and we have decisions to make. Life is active. We have to wake up and say, I could feel sorry for myself and I could sit on the couch all day mm-hmm. or I can push through and I could do this today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we have, I remember this advice. It might've been from a guest that we had on the podcast before, but someone shared with me once that, you know, if you are, it's a, maybe give yourself like two minutes if you are going through it or give yourself a chunk of time where you can be sad and you can cry and feel those feelings. But then once that time is up, continue to move forward and look at the next thing and focus on the next goal you're trying to achieve. Um, yeah. And I don't I, I think it was on the well, podcast. I don't know. That really stuck with too. me. Yeah. On that note, Rachel, just real quick, I know we got to close up, but to go back to your, go back to the question of what I'd say to a new burn survivor. That reminds me, uh, uh, one thing I'd love to say to them too is um, one of the things that helped me the most in the hospital was the fact that I was meeting the patients around me. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my friend's dad saying to me, he's like, Matt, because I was like, oh my goodness, my my friend is about to go through surgery. I'm going to go hang out with him, see how he's doing, pray with him and spend some time. And he's like, you have surgery in like four hours. And I was like, oh yeah. And I had honestly forgot I had surgery that day. But it's like, I, I think when we look inward at our situation, like, oh man, I'm going through it. I got to do this. I got to do this. I can't worry about others right now. That's when we spiral because we mm-hmm. we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And like if my focus is like, hey, I've got, you know, I don't have a big field of people I can reach out to, but I got nurses, I'm hearing their stories and what they're going through and connecting and, you know, I'm working with other patients and you start serving and loving people, mm-hmm. suddenly you're like, oh yeah, I have stuff too. And it really like, that starts your healing process. Mm-hmm. But if you're just trying to heal yourself, just like when I was just trying to excel my career as a wake skater myself, it was pretty lonely. And mm. wasn't that fulfilling? Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, that has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And we thank you very much. Um, we will make sure all of the, the book links and the links to get in touch with you are in all of our show notes. Um, so with that, we just want to thank you on behalf of Phoenix Society and both of us uh, for joining us today. Well, Amber, Rachel is an absolute pleasure as well. And it's great meeting you. And if you're ever in claremont florida for any reason come mm-hmm. over for a latte so yeah, absolutely i sure will <laughs> well thanks so much matt we'll talk to you again soon Bye-bye. talk to you soon thanks bye thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of girls with grafts if you are enjoying this content please feel free to rate subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts this helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode